Cool. Thanks, Tawand. So, yeah, my name is Jason. I'm a Cape Townian born and bred. Uh, I was born and raised in Pinelands. Um, and about three weeks ago, uh, I moved from Milneton to Bloberg. So, officially West Coast for life. Um, yeah, I'm married to Christine. Uh, we're about five years into marriage. It's still pretty early days. Uh, one little guy, two years old, Alex. And then he's got reinforcements coming uh, about the end of Jan. So, yeah, so I'm mentally preparing myself for that one, just getting ready for the shock of everything, but all parents will know that who've been there. Okay, this morning I'm reading from Acts chapter 5, verse 33 to the end of the chapter. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Thanks, Jason. Good morning. And you guys must be tired of hearing me say it, but there's a whole open front row here. And as long as it keeps being open, I'm going to keep bringing it up because we've got to fix this. Push in, guys. Get close to the front. The Spirit's only in the first three rows. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's not true. Good morning. My name is Andy, and I get to preach on this awesome passage of Acts as we continue on our To Be Continued series. And I wanted to start off by giving... A combo feedback slash intro moment uh, from our Friday night frequency, which we did have on Friday. And I decided to cheat a little bit because I was still feeling like I wasn't 100% prepared to preach on this message. So I thought, well, let me just take it to frequency and we'll just open it up and I'll see what our high schoolers see in this text. And maybe they can give me that golden nugget that I'm searching for, for the message. Um, you can tell me afterwards if they did or not. But... Uh, so that's what we did, right? So we gathered together, and there was about 10 of us there, and we just opened up this passage together. And it was so, so encouraging to see that when you get together around the Scriptures, and you just read it and speak about it and, and kind of ask God to, to open your eyes to see what's there, that all these amazing insights really did bubble to the surface. And that's the work of God. So... The way it's going to work is, actually, I'm going to just answer a few questions that, that we raised from this text. 
um, and that'll sort of get us into the story. And then I'm going to go through a few things that I've seen in this passage this week and the past couple of weeks as I've been digging into it. And I think that will help us to see what God has for us in this text. But before I do any of that, I'm going to pray and just ask the Lord to speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the great God that you are. Thank you that you are the creator of the universe and the creator of every one of us and that you have ordained this moment for you to speak into our hearts, to maybe nudge the course of our lives onto the path that you've got for us, that you want to encourage this morning, that you want to build up your church, that you are leading each one of us on your mission. So Lord, I submit this time to you as we, as we dig into your word, as we, as we hear from your holy scripture, would you press these words deep into our hearts, plant seeds that will bear fruit over the coming years and decades of our lives to become more like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so I think what will be best probably is if we have the, unfortunately, I couldn't fit it all on one slide, but maybe if we have the middle slide of the scripture up, the one that has the most on it, we'll just leave that one up there for now because that's probably going to get referred to the most. But let's do a little catch up. Where are we in the story? Last week, uh, Raj did the previous bit of the story, and it's sort of one long flow. What happens is this. There's this incredible early church movement going on. The gospel is, is ringing out through Jerusalem. There's people being saved. The church is growing. And there's this, this interesting group of existing religious leaders, Pharisees and, and, and council members who are watching this, perplexed and frustrated because they just got done with putting Jesus in the ground but they just won't stop talking about him. And they arrest these apostles, put them in prison, and incredibly, God sends an angel who releases them out of prison. And like, like good and, and chastised apostles, they went home and didn't preach about Jesus anymore. I mean, they went back out and kept on doing what they got arrested for. They went straight back out and started preaching about Jesus again. So it's like, okay, we'll try it again. So they go and they arrest them a second time. And they bring them in before the council. And there before the council, just before this passage we read today, the, the, um, Peter speaks to them and reminds them, you crucified Jesus. And they said, why do you insist on putting the blood of Jesus on us? They don't want to be blamed for this, but it's true. And they're enraged. Verse 33, they were enraged and wanted to kill them because they just can't deal with this ongoing message of the gospel. So that's where we are in the story. They've been arrested. They've been freed by an angel. They've been arrested again. And now they're being interrogated by the council. The church is growing. The gospel's on the move. Most of the people are interested. But there's this religious leadership that isn't so interested at all. So a few of the questions that came up on Friday night was, what were they arrested for in the sense of what was the scale of their crime? Were they actually doing something illegal? Were they, were they breaking the law? I actually think the closest analogy I could think of is, is like protesting, like protesters being arrested in the protest. They weren't protesting. Don't, don't, don't think that. But they were sort of arrested for saying and spreading a message that the leadership didn't like. It wasn't that they were out there really like flouting the law and, and just making trouble. 
what they were doing was preaching the good news of Jesus in the temple and to the people. It, it wasn't a massive crime. And that's also, I think, why you'll find they weren't so much arrested by the rulers of that time, in this case, they were the, the Romans, the soldiers, the army, the emperor. They were arrested by the, the Pharisees and the, the kind of religious elite of the people, which, which is interesting to note and will come up, will be relevant a bit later. Another question is, um, this Theodas and Judas that were mentioned, why were they killed? And that's maybe a really interesting question that, that ties into the first one. Theodas, it says here, rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400, joined him. And then verse 37, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. These are guys over the past few years before this story who were part of a repeating pattern because Israel was waiting for something. This is a very important context to frame what happened when Jesus came. Israel was waiting for something. If you go back into the Old Testament and you read, well, it's everywhere really, but some, some prime passages are like the book of Isaiah that speaks about the anointed one who would come. There was a promise that Israel had had from God that God would send a Messiah, a Savior, an anointed one, God's chosen one, who would restore the rule of God in the world, in Israel. They were waiting for this. So Theodas rose up, claiming to be someone, making a big deal of himself as a leader. Follow me. I will deliver you. I could be the anointed one. And the Pharisees killed him, and his, and his followers were dispersed because he wasn't the anointed one. And Judas rose up and drew away some of the people after him. And they killed him as well. And his followers were dispersed. These guys were like Messiah wannabes. They, they were like, you know, fake, fake messiahs. But they, they had a lot of promise. It seemed like there's a growing movement. Something's on the go. And they killed them and the, the followers were dispersed. So keep that in mind as well. We'll get back to that. Who was Gamaliel? Gamaliel was a member of the council. He was a Pharisee. He was actually, interestingly enough, he was the teacher who taught Paul when Paul was growing up as a Pharisee. So if you want to know where Paul got some of his wisdom, maybe it was from Gamaliel. And the last question was, I don't know, yeah, even, even it says here, um, they took his advice. Gamaliel said to them, don't, don't kill them. And they took his advice, and then they called in the apostles, and they beat them. And it's like, oh, you've just agreed with Gamaliel to not do something to them, but you beat them anyway. Why did they still beat them? Well, we'll see. Okay, that's a, a lot of details. Now we're going to try to tie it all together. But the context of the story is important if we want to understand what's going on. What is God doing with his people here? So I want to go to that pattern, that pattern of false messiahs who came and gathered followings and, and see what we can learn there. Israel had been anticipating a Messiah. But an important detail there is that over the years, as they waited for this anointed one, as they waited for the person God would send, they developed a particular image in their mind of what the Savior would be like. And we can see here that they, they had a habit of killing these Messiah types because they didn't maybe live up to the picture of what they were waiting for. They were waiting for someone who would save them the way they wanted to be saved. 
And I see a picture of us in this, that we can, we can cling to saviors in our life to solve our problems. We, when you have a problem in your life, often, I don't know if you're like this, but I'm certainly like this, I immediately have a sense of what I need to solve my problem. I can think, oh, this would easily be solved if I could have this money and then buy that solved, right? Or if that person would just apologize to me for what they said, boom, solved, right? <laughs> I'm, you know, we all do it. This can't just be me. We know what we're looking for. We have problems and we know what we want. It's like, oh, uh, you know, why don't we pray for, for, for God to solve our problems? Because we already know what we want to solve our problems. We just need a raise. We just need an extra hour in the morning. Or if you're a mom, maybe an extra like 10 hours before the kids come home from school. Or, you know, just squeeze in the quick eight hours of sleep first and it'll be good. We know what we need. But like these false messiahs in Israel, right, no amount of money no amount of, of self-care practices, no amount of friends and support can actually give us our deepest need. They all can do some things. There are uses for that. Self-care can be healthy. Friends are a beautiful blessing, but they can't give us our deepest need. And in time, each of them will let us down, and we might then be scattered, like the followers of Theodas and Judas. When they were killed, scattered. Their movements came to nothing. You've been, you've been doing so well, you know, you've been getting up early in the morning, going for a run, then having a lovely quiet time at home, and you've just been on this emotional high of this new routine in your life, and then oh, you get sick, and it throws you out of the routine, and boom, back to square one again. Someone laughed. It's not only me. It's good. It's good. We, we can tell the truth here. Until Jesus comes into our lives, and he might not look like the Savior we had in mind. I'll tell you a story from Friday night. So we were at, um, at Callan's house, and we get, she, she was hosting us for Frequency. And uh, she tells us when we get there, she's like, oh, I'm going to show you my pig. All right? And we're like, oh, that sounds interesting. You can put the first picture of a pig up. We're thinking, oh, a cute, a cute pig, right? It's going to be interesting. But then it's, uh, the pig was sleeping, so we couldn't go see the pig yet. We had to wait a little bit. So we're all building up this picture in our mind of what this pig looks like. And she's telling us how awesome it is and how, how cute it is. And we're thinking, oh, it's going to be fun to see this pig. And then, um, then we go to meet the pig, right? And, and uh, Josh, where's Josh? He's was sitting up there somewhere. He's, he's not looking at the pig. And the rest of us are freaking out about this pig, Right? And Josh is sitting there on the couch. He can't see the pig. It's behind the couch. And I'm telling him about this pig. He's saying to me, I don't want to scare it. I'm saying, you won't scare this pig. Said, it's huge. This pig is enormous. This pig could eat you. And, and he's like, he's nodding like he knows what I'm talking about, you know. And then the moment comes and he stands up. I won't tell you the exact words he said. It's roughly translated. It was like, wow, that's a big pig. And I thought there was an illustration there. Sometimes we think we know. We think we know what we're talking about, right? He, he's nodding to me. Yes, I know what the pig is like. I'm thinking he's seen the pig, obviously. You come, we come to church and we tell each other about the great things God's done. And we nod and we smile. Yeah, I know. I know, right? But Jesus doesn't always look like our expectations. And the work of God in our lives doesn't always look the way that we think it's going to look. And we can nod and smile and say, yes, I know. I know what it looks like. Until God actually steps in to your life and does something unexpected. And suddenly it's like, wow, that's a big God, right? 
And Jesus subverts our expectations of a savior in so many ways. I want more money. He says, contentment. I want more energy. He says, just do less. Rest. Trust me. I want more freedom. He says, submit to one another. Put others' needs before your own. I want to do my own thing. And again, he says, love one another as yourself. And we might be tempted, like the Pharisees then, to crucify Jesus in our lives rather than submit to being crucified with him. But if we do that, we would miss out on God's salvation because our earthly hopes will fail us, but we have a better hope. So what did Gamaliel see? Why did Gamaliel step forward and say, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men? What did he notice? What, what wisdom did Gamaliel have? I think he saw people emboldened by the Spirit. I don't know if he recognized it as such, but there was something different about these people in this early church, and he saw that. I think he saw people on fire for a purpose, a people gripped by hope. Do you know the Pharisees supposed Jesus was dead. They had killed him. But the church was saying he's alive. Where did they get this hope? Why were they so confident to say Jesus is alive? Even as they're arrested and put in prison, they get straight back out there and go and preach Jesus is alive. They were gripped by hope. And this is the root of our hope. The root of our hope is that God cannot be overthrown. God cannot be overthrown. It, it seems clear Gamaliel was not a believer in Jesus, but he did have a firm grasp on the workings of God, which allowed him to speak this very practical wisdom. Let's see. Let's wait and see. Here's the key, verse 38. If this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You will not be able to overthrow God because God cannot be overthrown. In contrast to the false deliverers, the Theodases and the Judases that we talked about, here we come to a truth about God that even unsaved Pharisees know God cannot be overthrown. And if you think about that for a moment, the Bible is full of stories that prove this point. Earlier in the year, we did a series in Jonah, and I love it. Jonah, go to Nineveh. No, I don't think I will, God. Whoops, I'm at Nineveh. I don't know how that happened. In, in the book of Exodus, Moses comes to Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh says, I don't think I will. And 10 plagues later, whoops, Israel's on their way out, right? All the richer for the experience. What about you and me, right? God says, get plugged into your church. Commit to community. I don't think I will. Give away that item that's, that's filling up your life. I don't think so. Offer to pray for that person. You can see them there. They need someone to come and encourage them. God, it's uncomfortable. Maybe stop this, this sin or this habit which is hurting you. That choice you keep on making, that you keep on saying yes to that thing which is hurting you and is taking away from your life. And God says, stop. I don't think so, God. But God cannot be overthrown. And if God has got your number, I want to say to you, 
Don't waste your time fighting or running away. Because where can you flee from the presence of God? You've got to trust that he's got your best interests at heart. And then you've got to do what he says. Because you'll only hurt yourself fighting God. You can't, you're definitely not going to be hurting God, right? It was, it was Jonah who went in the whale. It was Pharaoh and Egypt who suffered the plagues. It's only ourselves who get hurt when we fight the plans of God. Because the plans of God are good. The plans of God are for our good. And if we fight them... We're wasting our energy. We're wasting our time. And the same, by the way, the same goes for blessing. Don't hear it too negatively. If God plans to bless you, you can't stop him. Don't know why you would try. Nothing can stop him. He's got greater things planned for your life than you've ever dreamed. So don't get it, don't get it mixed up. Your, your, your small hopes and dreams aren't going to hold back the unstoppable favor of God. Young people thinking about what should I study? What job should I take? What if I take the wrong one? What if it's not what God has for me? You can't stop the blessing of God. If you take the wrong job, God can fix it. It's, 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 life is not as hard as, you, as, you, as, it, as we make it. It doesn't have to be. The older people in the room are looking at him saying, shame, he's young. <laughs> The good news goes deeper than this. The, the unoverthrowableness, that's a word, the unoverthrowableness of God is also the core of our Christian hope. Why are we confident when the whole world seems to be going down the drain? Because God cannot be overthrown. Why do we have hope at all? We've rebelled against the covenants of God so many times, but he can't be stopped. He gave Israel 10 commandments, laws, and they failed and failed and failed. Idols, idols, rebellion. God can't be stopped. His plan is to redeem people out of sin from this world. You can't stop him. I can't stop him. No one can stop him. Death itself couldn't stop him. They nailed Jesus to a cross and killed him, and God raised him from the dead. Not even death can overthrow the plan of God. Why, in, in the book of Daniel, why did Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, staring into the face of the king, standing in the mouth of the fiery furnace, they said to him, you know what? Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow to your idol. Why do they have such confidence? Because God cannot be overthrown. And if they die for the cause of God, for faith in God, they know they can receive their life back from the grave or whatever God has planned is better. Why do we get salvation? Because God cannot be overthrown. He has called your name. He's written you in his book. You can't stop him from saving you. If he's chosen you and he's calling you this morning, don't fight the love of God. Gamaliel was no lover of Jesus, but he was wise enough to know that there is no point in fighting God and there's also no need to do God's job for him. If this plan or this undertaking is of men, it will fail. We don't have to stop them. If this is not from God, it'll stop on its own. 
The, the Pharisees didn't need to persecute the church because if the church wasn't God's plan, it would fail on its own. And that's also why, as Christians, we don't have to fight other religions or fight back against persecution. We don't have to be all militant Christianity, like, oh, kill the heathens. That's not really Cape Town's vibe, I know. But, <laughs> but we don't have to be defensive about our faith, like, oh, they said something mean about, about you know, my church. It's fine, actually. We live as Christians. We walk very much in the confidence that the plan of God will not be overthrown. We don't have to you know, bring the kingdom of God by sword. We don't have to beat someone into the church. Parents who, who, who have, you know, like wayward older children, maybe it's, it's a tough situation, but you don't have to do the work of God for God. Don't feel like a failure if your older child is not into church or into it. Like pray for them, love them, but know that it's on God to draw them in and he will do his plan. You don't have to do the work of God. We don't take revenge as Christians. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So we don't have to make things just for ourselves. When you've been wronged and you know in the deepest part of your being someone has sinned against you and justice wants to be served, you feel it crying out and you get the chance. I don't know how that happens, but you get the chance to, to take your revenge and you don't. Because you don't have to do jobs, jobs, God. You don't have to do God's job for him. He will make things right. You don't have to force someone to behave like a Christian. And here's one that I thought was really important. We can have grace for ourselves when we mess up. We don't have to punish ourselves like, oh God, but I deserve to be punished. I messed up so bad. God, you know what I did. You know I deserve this constant guilt I'm putting on my shoulders. I deserve this shame I keep reminding myself of every day. I deserve to feel like dirt because, God, you know what I did. Stop it. Stop punishing yourself. If God says the punishment's on Jesus, who are you to overthrow God and say, no, God, I'm going to punish myself. I deserve it. Stop. Let God be God. And we can get on with the business that he has given us. Can we go to the next bit of scripture from verse 40? So when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. I've got three, um, three practical takeaways from, from the end of this passage. The first one is this. Don't silence yourself. Have you ever, I don't know, I'm not going to assume, have you ever been charged by the rulers, by the government, by the police, instructed, commanded not to preach the name of Jesus? Hands up if it's a yes. Me neither. Sometimes I think we're just not radical enough. What a badge of honor, actually, if the, if the authorities are like, hey, that's enough now. You, you know it. That's just, you're turning this city upside down. You've filled this city with the message of Jesus we can't help noticing it. Look, even if they did that, we shouldn't obey. But we've never even gotten that far. We silence our own proclamation long before anyone needs to silence us. We, we can be so hesitant to preach Jesus, to proclaim the greatness of God 
I've never done it. Look, I'm not saying that this is a you thing. This is a me thing. I've never gone and stood on the corner of the street and just shouted out how great Jesus is. But you can. Nothing in the Bible says you shouldn't do that. But we say no for people before we ever preach to them. Like, yeah, but they have such a, a good life. They, don't really, they wouldn't really want to hear about Jesus anyway. Right? What if I bring them to church and it messes up their relationship with their family? Because their family is very anti-church. Right? I don't know. What if they have to lose some friends over it? What if I have to lose friends over it? They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They rejoiced that they were, that they were counted worthy. And my second point then is identify with Christ. Why did they rejoice? Why, when they were taken and arrested and beaten and commanded not to preach, why did they rejoice over that? Because that's what they did to Jesus. They took him and they beat him and they dragged him before rulers and they hated his message. And these, these disciples celebrated that in some little way they could walk in the image of the Savior that they loved so much. Do I love Jesus that much that someone could spit in my face for the gospel and I would go home and praise God? Like, God, finally I'm getting some, you know, on my Christian bucket list. I don't know. I don't know. That's what I'm asking. If God calls you to die for your faith, could you do it with a song on your lips? You don't have to love the suffering. This is not about, oh, go out and make, you know, get miserable for the gospel. It's not about loving suffering, but it's about loving Jesus and the privilege of walking the same road as Jesus. It's not about what is the opposition. We can get caught up on the details. Like, oh, what are my chances in South Africa of being martyred for the gospel? Not great, right? Okay, so you could move to Syria, or you could realize it's not about being martyred for the gospel. It's about the daily and moment by moment personal pick up your cross, follow Jesus, crucify your flesh with its desires, lay down your life fully surrendered to the cause of God, right? It doesn't have to look necessarily like Pharisees dragging you before councils and whipping you. Often the Pharisees are, in our, are our own voice and our own mind that we've got to silence by proclaiming the goodness of God. I, look, we, we always sing a response song. We're going to sing that song and some of us are going to stand up and say, my heart's not in it. I don't feel it. And I say to you, there's a moment to crucify yourself. Jesus deserves us shouting out his praise till we've got no voice left. But we let the inner, the inner Pharisee win. Don't, well, I don't really, what if I make the person next to me uncomfortable? What if I feel uncomfortable with them and we just all feel uncomfortable together? Men's night away. <laughs> we love Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? We love Jesus. So to go where Jesus has gone is a joy and a privilege. We'll follow him to those beautiful moments of loving and giving and caring and preaching. We'll follow him to those hard moments of weeping and suffering. 
we will follow where he leads because we love Jesus. So identify with Christ and persevere in preaching. That every day in the temple and from house to house, this is not about Sunday mornings. This is not oh, Andy persevere in preaching. This is all of us. We proclaim the good news of Jesus. Day by day, in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And I tell you what, I've got one last thought for you. I'm, I'm going to try to say it in the best way I can. The empowering of the Spirit is for proclaiming Christ. If you want to see the power of God in your life more and more, then get on the mission of God more and more. We, we bring, and look, this is where it gets tricky. We bring our problems to God and want God's solutions to our problems. And that's fine. You can do that. God loves to hear about what's going on in your life. But sometimes we're like, why, why doesn't God send an angel to fix my problem? Because the problem of having a mean coworker that you have to get along with is maybe just not an angel-sized problem, right? We, can, we make our small problems so big in our minds, but I, I, this is the way I wrote it in my notes. If you want to see God solutions in your life, you need to get some God-sized problems in your life. And by that, I don't in any way mean to minimize any of the trials or sufferings that you may be going through in your life. That's not what I mean. But what I mean is if God can help you with the little problems we bring to him day by day, we shouldn't be afraid to get some really big problems for the sake of his mission because he can help us with those too. And he will empower you to proclaim Jesus in every circumstance, in prison, out of prison, sick or healthy, happy or sad, at work, at home, at church, at school, on the street, on the bus, wherever. So that's all I have for you today. <laughs> this, is, this is it. This is what, what you can what you can take home with you. Can I have the last slide up? Because I forgot what I wrote. Where we find our hope determines how we live our lives. If your hope is in God who cannot be overthrown, if your hope is in Jesus who has gone before you every step, then you can live in such confidence and freedom and the power of God for the mission of God to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you cannot be overthrown. Thank you that nothing can stand against your purposes. Thank you that you have a plan and a call for each one of us. And as we go out from here this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would stir those seeds in our heart. Stir up the fire in us, God. We want to be a people set ablaze with hope, confident to stand before rulers and authorities if that's where you call us to be and to proclaim Jesus is our Savior. We love you, Jesus. We bless your name this morning. We submit our lives to you, every part of our lives. We want to walk in the pattern that you've set for us. Thank you, Jesus. And be glorified now as we worship you. Amen.